those of you who are at home and didn't know we were putting your picture up today, you're famous, so good for you. Um, as we begin today, I'm going to ask you to join me also for a word of prayer as we open the word. Father, may your word be real and powerful and meaningful to us through the direction you give to each person and the preacher. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, when my computer tells me that it has an update to make, it kind of freaks me out just a little. Does that, does that bother you? Because I know for my computer, when it says um, we, have a, we have this update, I often tell it, talk to me tomorrow. You, know, you get the, I, On my computer, I can tell it, you know, tell me in an hour, tell me tonight, or tell me tomorrow. And I often will just say, tell me tomorrow, tell me tomorrow. And I'll just keep telling it, putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. What I'm really waiting for is for one of you to update your computer and tell me whether it's safe or not. Because I used to have Pastor Webster sitting next to me, and he would always update the first opportunity he got. And so I could always look at him and see if he was screaming at his computer and know whether or not I wanted to do that and give it some time to, for them to fix it. But recently I've had to update it on my own. I don't know, uh, Pastor Tim seems to be waiting for me to see if I'm throwing something at my computer. But I, in some of those occasions, that new operating system just messes everything up. Things won't work that used to work. Things that, are, that I'm used to doing in a certain way are now done in a different way. And so changes in operating systems are disruptive to my life. And I know they're supposed to be a benefit. I know they're supposed to help. But they're disruptive to the way I want to do things and the way I'm accustomed to doing things. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about upgrading your Holy Spirit operating system. Upgrading the operating system in your life a little bit. Um, as I talk about this, I want, to, I want to remind you that what we're kind of doing here is trying to figure out what Paul was learning, having been completely committed to Judaism, and then coming and bringing that, that, that life of, of study and growth and understanding from Judaism into Christianity and building the foundations of Christianity on what he had learned from his rabbinic teach from the rabbinic teaching of his earlier life. And so what we're talking about here when we start talking about the Holy Spirit is Paul's perspectives on the Holy Spirit. As we start looking into what's there, what's in the text, I want to just take you to a couple of spots. We're going to be in Romans 7 and Romans 8 primarily today, but I want you to see some of Paul's commentary on the Holy Spirit. As soon as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, particularly where we're talking about it with Paul, people jump to the conclusion we're going to have to talk. We spend all of our time talking about glossolalia, which is the, the uh, Greek term for speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages. That's not, I'm not even touching on that today. We won't, we won't go there. We won't be talking about that at all. I want you to see what Paul says is the primary function of the Holy Spirit. And I think Paul is trying to say to us that the Holy Spirit is providing a new operating system. I almost called this OSH.S, but I was afraid it was too esoteric and it would be just weird looking. Everybody would be looking at it and saying, Osh, what's he talking about, Osh? What does that mean? But I, so I decided to go with operating system updates today. So this will be disruptive if you up, update to it. It will change the way you do some things, and it will constantly be renewing. This will be disruptive to the way you do things. It will change some of the things, the way the, the patterns in which you function, and it will constantly be updating. Okay, that's just the truth about how the operating system works. So I want to start you in uh, in Romans chapter seven, and we're picking that up near the end. Romans chapter seven is kind of a a famous passage because 
Paul here is talking about the struggles he has with sin. And a lot of people will look at this passage and say, I get it, I understand that, that's how it works with me. Paul in this passage is saying, look, it's difficult for me. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I want to do, I don't end up doing. What is the problem? What is the mess that I find myself in? And as he starts to conclude the chapter, verse 24 is that famous passage, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So what's the problem? The problem is he says, look, I have a battle within me. The carnal, physical, fleshly human being, the broken, sinful person that I am, keeps popping up. And the things that I've set my mind to do, the things that I wanted to do to follow God, keep taking second place to this conflict within me. I actually do things I don't want to do. Do things that I've set my mind not to do. And we understand how that works? A wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from the situation of my brokenness? That's the question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from my situation, from what I find within me, from the conflict of my brokenness. Um, I think it is one of the real uh, tragedies of our present age that there are a lot of people who don't understand that mankind is broken. There are a lot of folks out there who think, if we just, if we just play nice, everybody will be fine. It's not the case. We can all play nice and we will still be sinners. We'll be pretending to be nice. We won't actually be nice. There's a brokenness inside of mankind that only God can repair. And that's what Paul is asking for. He's saying, who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from this situation I find myself? And he immediately then answers his own question. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. See you see, so you see how it is. In my mind, get this, follow this with me. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. So, before we go off on that, I want you to think about it in your own practical experience. In my mind, I determine to do the right thing, right? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the, 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 the simple place we go to often when we're dealing with this subject. You're coming onto the freeway on ramp. And when you get onto the freeway on-ramp, you have every determined decision inside of you to not let other people's bad driving frustrate you. And as you pull onto the freeway, you decide, I'm going to do this peacefully. And you take a breath. And you let out all of the angst of, of what might happen in front of you. And you come on and you feel like just a Buddhist monk. You're all just zenned out and chill. And as you come on and you merge in, somebody does something dumb and you're like, that's okay, that's okay. There are dumb people everywhere. And you just kind of get in your lane and you say, okay, I'm just going to take it easy. And then someone else does something dumb and you go, see, that proves the case. There are dumb people everywhere. And then a third person does something dumb and you say, but God, do all the dumb people have to be in front of me? And you shift from that tranquil mind that you intended to have to the carnal mind that lives within you. That's what Paul is saying. Now he's saying it about much bigger things than driving, but driving is such an easy illustration because whenever I talk about driving, you all understand. You all understand. There's like one person in the church who's never driven. 
You understand that frustration that you find yourself in. That's the deal. He says, I determine in my mind to do certain things. I determine in my mind that I'm going to follow God's ways. And yet, I discovered that in, by nature I am a slave to sin. There's a sinful conflict within me. The good and the evil are right inside of me. The old man, he will later say, and the new man. The old man, the, the broken man, the man before Jesus, B.C. me. And then the, the, the new man, the new man who's chosen to follow Christ, A.D. me. B.C. me and A.D. me continue to conflict, continue to fight. And Paul brings the discussion of the Holy Spirit into that context. If you don't think about it in that way, if you don't recognize his answers as they come out of Romans 8, coming out of that question, who will save me from this body of death? How will I ever, or or will I ever, see an end to this conflict within me between good and evil in my own bones? I've given you the New Living Translation here because I think it it says it a little more clearly. Then the New King James, which is my usual text that I share with you. I usually read, read to you from the New King James. Um, but the New Living kind of just, I think, summarizes it, states it very, very well. Gives the Greek a good modern flavor to it. So, here's Paul's conflict. I want to do the right thing. I don't always do it. I find myself struggling because internally I'm broken. And I recognize the conflict is not with God. The conflict is with me. God's law is good. God's law is righteous. God's law is is, is perfect. And I am broken. And that's my conflict. Okay? It is the universal situation of all men that Paul's addressing. So I want to bring it to us. So now we move into Romans chapter 8. We're going to skip around. We We won't go through the whole chapter. In fact, big chunks of it. We're just skipping right over. I just want to catch the highlights today as we talk about updating and and creating a new operating system to work from. There is, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So back up. Who will save me from this body of death? Jesus. There is therefore, since Jesus is the one rescuing from this, from this situation, no condemnation for those who are, get the word, in Christ Jesus. Those who are inside, covered by, filled with, those who have Christ Jesus in them and they're in Him. Those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There is now therefore no condemnation. For people like me. For people who look at the, the things they want to do and find, them doing something, find themselves doing something else. Who determine, I am not eating the rest of the chocolate cake in the refrigerator and then find themselves ten minutes later with a fork. Okay? We determine in our minds to do the right thing and then we find ourselves doing the opposite of what we planned on doing. That's Romans, that's Romans coming out of 7 into chapter 8. That's the conflict we're dealing with. For the law of the spirit of life. Get the words. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Did you follow it? The law of the spirit, law of the Holy Spirit, the law of the spirit in life, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Free in a whole bunch of ways. I am no longer condemned. I am no longer condemned by my sin because I have chosen to follow Jesus. Jesus has given his life to free me from the repercussions of my brokenness. I am freed from the the results of my brokenness. I am trying to follow Jesus. I am struggling with the process and he is taking care of the difference. You follow that part? It's an important piece to get because if you don't get this, you'll spend your entire life beating yourself up, 
with this conflict that Paul tells us about in chapter 7. I want to do the right thing, and I keep doing the wrong thing. I want to do the right thing, and I keep doing the wrong thing. God, why aren't you fixing this in me? Paul says, look, Jesus has died for that difference. Jesus has died for the difference between what you've determined to do and what actually happened. He's not saying you'll never grow and you, all, you can always just con- continue doing whatever sinful thing you want to do with, with complete dis, dis, uh, without concern for what God wants. Disregard. Thank you. I got the word from my wife. Thank you, dear. Um, with complete disregard for what God wants. You, you can't just go on without any concern. But he's saying, I have determined in my heart to do the right thing and then I find myself breaking the very rule I set for myself. He says, in Christ, the spirit of life in Christ, the Holy Spirit of life in Christ, the spirit of life in Christ, the Holy Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit inside of me has begun to separate that and make me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit inside of me. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. The person who's living toward the flesh, I do what I want. I don't care what God thinks. I do what I want. They're the guy who's cutting you off on the freeway and then flipping you off for being in his way. That's that guy. Okay? Either that or he's a Christian who's way new in his experience. We're not sure yet. But the person who does this with complete disregard for God's desires is the person that Paul that Paul's talking about here is carnally minded. They're seeking after the flesh. They're doing only what their fleshly broken heart desires. They go after the things of the flesh and that leads to death. That will be where they end up. They will, they will lose it all. Now, let's look at this practically for a second. If you know someone who lives their life completely self-indulgently without regard to God or his interests, what kind of life are they leading? Don't, don't shout it out or anything. What kind of life is that person leading? Do you find that most of those people are super happy? Do you find that most of those people feel fulfilled in what they're doing in their life? Do you find that most of those people say, yeah, I know what my purpose and my values are, and yeah, I'm going for it. You find most of those people struggling with their decisions. Because even in our brokenness, we understand what is right. And when we are not following what our own heart, our own broken, though eternally created heart, leads us to, we go into the dumper of pain, sadness, sorrow, depression. We find ourselves in a hole of our own digging. And we can't seem to let go with a shovel. Those who pursue a life lived according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, let me fill in the words here, borrow borrow them from the first phrase, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You with that so far? Okay, I'm trying to lay some groundwork here for you, and I, I want to lay the groundwork so that when we go to the conclusions that he's starting to make, it starts to make some sense to you. The Holy Spirit in your life begins to to set the direction. You set your minds on the things God desires for you. You determine to go in that direction. You do get on the freeway saying, today is going to be different. And you get on the freeway enough times saying, today is going to be different. And what happens is, you begin to practice a different. 
You begin to find a different. You really begin to find the authority of God in your life for a different. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. Sometimes hours before, sometimes days before, you open your Bible and the text speaks to you about being calm, about being quiet, letting your spirit rest in God. And then you, you, you start to see God fortifying you for that moment when you pull on the freeway. And God says, you know, maybe today, maybe today we're going to close the freeway so you can go to work a little calmer. And you, get, and you hear on the radio, oh yeah, the, the freeway's closed. I mean, have to, you'll have to take back roads. And you end up in these back roads, and you're wondering why you're going through the back roads. God, why am I quieter today on the back roads? And you're looking at God saying, hey, I've hit a whole bunch of green lights. This is my favorite, one of my favorite conversations with God. I've hit a whole bunch of green lights. Thank you, God, for being, putting me on the back road today. And it changes your experience. If you continue to set your mind on doing what God desires for you, the Holy Spirit will continue to empower you And God will continue to help answer those questions and those prayers for you as He changes your life. Because it is God's ultimate goal that you live the most abundant and wonderful life you can. And the most abundant and wonderful life you and I can live is the one that's aligned with the will of God for us. If we align ourselves with the text, we will find ourselves living better lives. If we align ourselves with the text, and that that sounds a little... I don't know, esoteric. If we align ourselves with what the Bible says, we will find ourselves living more abundant lives. That's what he's saying. Once the Holy Spirit of Christ gets in you, you get in Christ and Christ gets in you. Once that relationship begins, when that that new operating system begins to function in your life, you start seeking things. You set your mind to the things of God. You start directing yourself toward God. Sometimes there are frustrating days. That's what chapter 7 is, right? He's saying, sometimes I set my mind to do the right thing and I do the wrong thing. Sometimes I set my mind to not do the wrong thing and I still do that wrong thing. He said, it's just a difficult time. My body is broken. My my life is, is filled with sin. I can't overcome it on my own. What am I to do? He says, thank God for Jesus who died for my sins. But he didn't just die for my sins. He gave me the Holy Spirit. And he uploaded a new operating system for me. But you who choose Christ are not controlled by your sinful nature. Now, stop and think. Hold on. Is it true? Is it true? You who are in Christ are not controlled, are not controlled by your sinful nature. Here's here's the difference I would make for you. You are influenced, but not controlled. You got that? You are influenced, but not controlled. There are still influences of your sinful nature still working on you. Paul says, I'm struggling with this. There's an old man, there's a new man. There's a battle going on inside of me. I'm constantly struggling with this carnal nature. But when I have set my life to follow Christ, I am no longer controlled by that sinful nature. I am still influenced by it, but I am not controlled by it because I have given control of my life over to Jesus. Jesus puts it this way. Yoke yourselves together with me and I will get you where you need to go. That's con- the concept of being yoked together with Jesus is the same concept as being filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we take the Holy Spirit, we pull him out from, the, from, his, from his, uh, his Trinitarian position, and we recognize something else in the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. This is God, the will of God being worked out in your life from the inside out. The difference is simply that the Holy Spirit dwells in 
And Jesus stands in front. Jesus said to his disciples, I must go so that I might send you the comforter. Because as long as I'm standing here talking to you, you're not going to listen to the still small voice. As long as you can see me and touch me, you're not going to listen for the Holy Spirit. He is challenging us to give control over to God and the indwelling of His Spirit, though He knows we will still be influenced by our brokenness. Do you see the difference in that? It's subtle, but it's very, very important that you understand it. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Okay? When you chose to follow Jesus, certain things happened. When you chose to follow Jesus, Jesus covered you by His grace, filled you with His Holy Spirit, and began to develop in you the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You got both of those? When the Spirit came into you, God began to develop in you the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. We spend way too much talking about the gifts. It's like we're all stuck on Christmas. We spend way too much time talking about the gifts. We should talk a lot more about the fruit, because you know what the fruit is? The fruit is the sign of maturity. You know when your peach tree has reached maturity when it actually starts to produce fruit. Before that, it's just a shady spot in your yard. They won't let you even pick it for the first couple of years, so the first couple of years, your fruit's worthless anyway. Think about that in your early experience with Christianity. How was your fruit in those first couple of years? You thought it was pretty good. Everybody else was going, well, don't worry. They're new. They're new. They'll get it. Right? You thought, man, I've made huge changes, and people were like, well, not quite enough of them, but, you know, they'll get it. The fruit of the Spirit is the sign of maturity. We should talk a lot more about the fruit than the gifts. The gifts are great, but the gifts are here for you to bless other people. The gifts are not here to display. They're here to help us mature each other as a group of believers. The gifts of the Spirit are for other people. They're directed outward. The fruit of the Spirit is the way your maturity is shown. Jesus told the story this way. He said, look, if you think about your spiritual life like a vineyard, I am the vine. I am the main stock. You are the branches. If the branch stays connected with the vine, they will naturally produce fruit. You with me? If you stay connected to me, you will naturally produce fruit. If your connection with Jesus becomes weak, the fruit of the Spirit will also come, become weak. If the, if the natural connection, if the, if the natural connection with Jesus remains strong, the fruit of the Spirit will demonstrate the maturity of the believer. Got me so far? This is not as complicated as we make it. We make the Holy Spirit some kind of mystical thing that descends on us, and we want these fiery tongues landing on our heads because that's the only way to get the Holy Spirit. And the only way to demonstrate the Holy Spirit is through these giant gifts of things that are happening. Do you realize that the gift of tongues as a result result of baptism does not actually happen to anyone outside the apostles until after Philip is baptized, until until Cornelius is baptized. So Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, but when Cornelius, a Gentile, is baptized, the same experience falls on Cornelius that fell on the apostles, not as a testimony to Cornelius, but as a testimony to the apostles. So Peter could go back and say to the other apostles, yeah, you remember what happened to us in the upper room? It happened to him, too. God showed up and proved that these Gentiles can be saved. Look what happened. 
if you look at what's going on, the, this gift, this, this big thing that they were all talking about in the, in the first century in the church was a demonstration that the Gentiles could be saved to the Jews who didn't believe it was possible. What makes, what makes the life is not the gift. It's the fruit. Because you can be, and you've seen them, the most gifted person in the world and the fruit of your life is abysmal. You treat people poorly. You're unkind. You're mean. You're unjust. You're impatient. And nobody wants to be around you. We understand that gifts without fruit prove immaturity. Gifts with fruit prove maturity and health. Infilling the Holy Spirit produces fruit of the Spirit. Man, I don't know if it's quiet for you folks at home, but it is quiet in here right now. We're, we're walking into a little bit of a, some, some theological deep ends, and we're getting into some personal thinking about your life. I hope you are, because this is what, this is what should be working. You're uploading an operating system that includes the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and the maturity of that operating system in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Stop. Remember what the first question was? Who will deliver me from this body of death? How will I, out, how will I escape the mess I find myself in here? How do I get out of this? How do I stop being so messed up and broken inside? How will I get out of this sinful body that I find myself in? Who will deliver me from this body of Christ? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus, or body of death, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life. He will give life to your mortal bodies. What does mortal mean? Mortal means able to die. Remember the Spanish word muerte? It means to die. It means you're able to die. The, this mortal body. Who? What, what will happen to this mortal body? He will give life to your mortal bodies in the same Spirit, by the same Spirit living within you. So Paul's now going to move on to discussions of the resurrection. Are you following the transition? How will I get out of this mess that I'm in? Resurrection. How will I get out of this mortal body? Resurrection. How will I get through this sin problem that I find myself in? Paul says there's only really one answer, one final answer to the sin problem. Your brokenness will be, will be repaired when you are resurrected. Before then, you will continue to have some difficulties with it. If you can get that settled in your mind, you have a lot left guilt, less guilt. Now, I don't want this to be license, and Paul will say the same thing to you. He will later say, this is not license. This doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want. But it is a freedom from the guilt of, of having a struggle with sin. To set your mind on doing the right thing and find yourself doing the wrong thing is very discouraging. Paul says, yes, you will be saved from this body of death. However, it will be at the resurrection. As, as Christ was resurrected, that same Holy Spirit who's in you will see to it that you are resurrected anew, transformed. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, this mortal must put on immortality. What happens at the end? How does this sinner get really changed? How do we finally deal with the sin problem? It happens at the resurrection. Until then, we will need the blood of Jesus, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of the people around us. 
your husband is not going to ever be perfect. Try as you may, it will be a failure in the end. Your wife is not ever going to be perfect. No matter what her friends say about her, she is never going to be perfect until the resurrection. In the resurrection, a transformation takes place that is at the heart level, at the physiological level, where sin is removed from the body of mankind and the renewal that takes place in that moment is the end of sin in man. Until then, we will need the covering of the blood of Christ and lots of grace from our fellow man. So if you're receiving grace, you should also be giving grace. So giving one another grace is the natural state of the broken human being. You know who needs the most? The person who doesn't think they're broken. Because you look at them and you think, how could you believe that? Because I'm looking at you, and I could probably give you a list of five or ten things right now. And yet you, you're sure that you're A-okay? If you'd like, I'll give you the list alphabetical so you can work through it easily. They need more grace. I think sometimes we pray for them to have eyes to see what God sees. For we are saved in this hope. Get the, get the point. Don't miss this. Don't miss, the, don't miss his sort of final punchline in this. We are saved in this hope. When you become a Christian, you are saved in the hope of transformation. You are saved in the hope of the resurrection. And he says, hope is that which is not seen. Hope that is, is seen is not hope at all. If it had already arrived, there would be no reason for us to have hope. There would no, be no reason for us to be hoping for a transformation from God if we've already had it. Hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Why would somebody hope for what is already there? They already have it. It's not hope anymore. It's reality. He's saying we are saved in this hope, this hope of transformation which is ongoing, and this hope of ultimate resurrection and the end of sin in our life, which we have not yet seen, but we will. The Holy Spirit working in you will continue to make the adjustments, to change the picture, to try to make you more and more and more like Jesus. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So imagine this guy, Paul. Imagine this guy who's done so much in his life. It, I mean, a decade ago, he was killing Christians for a living. He was chasing them around, arresting them, getting rid of them, getting other people to do his bidding for him to kill them off. He was trying to eliminate Christianity. A decade ago, he was trying to eliminate what he is now planting. This guy, Paul, says, if we go forth in hope, if 
We hope for what we do not see. We, I, Paul, eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He said, as you do battle with sin, you persevere. What does persevere mean? It means you keep at it, right? You keep at it. When you're persevering, when you're digging a hole and you find something hard in the ground and you're still digging and you're still digging and you're still digging, you're persevering to deal with what there is, what is right there in front of you. You're persevering to make it happen. He's saying, look, if you already recognize that though you hope for a bigger transformation that has not yet fully come, if you will continue eagerly with perseverance to hope, to have that hope, to wait for God's transformation, persevere, continue to work, continue to listen to the Spirit, continue to follow God, continue to let God transform who you are into somebody who's more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today. Do you get the big picture? Are you understanding what he's saying? The Holy Spirit in you is there to produce the fruit that looks like the life of Christ. Now we're up to verses 24 and 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, and we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, likewise, likewise, also like that, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Stop and just embrace that one for a minute. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. The Spirit helps deal with your weaknesses. So you get on the freeway. And you determine as you're getting on the freeway, I set my mind to be at peace. You know my son coaches me on this? I talk about this a lot in church because it's an easy sin to expose. I don't want to tell you about my really big sins. I tell you about the easy ones, the little ones. So my, my, my youngest son coaches me on this. He says, Dad, just get in the slow lane. Get behind somebody and don't even try to change them. Just travel at whatever speed they're traveling at and relax. I wish that was possible for me. Because I've told you before, my primary impulse when I get on the freeways, I could win this. I don't need to be behind all these people. I could beat these people. Try to do that and be peaceful at the same time. I get on the freeway. And I try to look around at the people around me and say, these are God's people. And I don't have to be in front of them. It's okay to be behind them. Even if they don't know how to drive. And what's great about this is every once in a while the Holy Spirit, I, I, I don't, it was this last week, somebody again I'm doing 85 down the freeway because that was what you should do. And some guy's passing me. I'm thinking, how fast is he going? I actually said to my wife, I'm doing 85. How fast is he going? It's not a confessional. She knew already that I, how I drive. The angels are fast. You got to keep up. In the midst of that, I get this little whisper from God. Because I'm thinking, that guy's crazy. I'm doing 85. How fast is he going? How, how crazy is he? He's going to hurt somebody. Not thinking about what 85 might do. And God says, just whispering. Maybe he's going to the hospital to see his family. It is really hard to think ill of that person in that moment. And suddenly it's like, you don't know their circumstances. 
You don't know what is driving them. So relax. The Holy Spirit help in our weaknesses. Listen for those whispers of the Holy Spirit when the ire starts to rise up. When, the, when, you, when, you're, when your fruit does not look like the fruit of the Spirit, it looks like the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When your fruit sort of goes in the wrong direction, when, you're, it, when you start looking immature as a believer, listen, listen, train your ear to hear, because the Holy Spirit is there to help in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should even pray for as we are. I have had a lot of questions about what I should pray for over the last few weeks. Who I should pray for, what I should pray for, what I should say about it, what I shouldn't say about it, who I should talk to, who I shouldn't talk to. This is the test. This is the text that drew me to this chapter. And then God said, this is not what you're talking about today. So I'm going to squeak it in just a little. Because what I realized is that I needed the guidance of the Spirit to even know what to pray. I don't know if you're feeling any frustration or wondering what, how, to, how to go about what to do next. How does a believer, I told you last week, a believer has to live their life differently than the rest of the world because the world desperately needs to hear from people who have faith in the midst of turmoil. We don't have the right, we don't have the right as followers of Christ to take sides with the enemy of Christ. No, how, no matter how that enemy presents himself, the Holy Spirit is promised in the moment of weakness to even tell us, help us, and even pray for us. Because that's what he says, right? That's what's coming up in the next text, in the next part of this text. When we are struggling, we don't even know what to pray for. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit speaks on your behalf when you just don't know what to pray. What a promise. When you just don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit speaks in the utterances, the groanings of your heart that cannot be uttered. When you don't know what to say, you just know how you feel. The Holy Spirit intercedes and speaks on your behalf to God. He brings that into the understanding of God. He brings that into the presence of God because He is one with God. The Holy Spirit of God takes the groanings of our lives, the, the misunderstandings of our minds, the weaknesses of the way we communicate, and He translates those things with groanings that cannot be uttered into the presence of God. And the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. He knows what the Spirit is saying. He understands what the Spirit is translating from our utterances and our weakness. He understands what the Spirit is bringing forth on our behalf before Him as the Holy Spirit intercedes like our high priest before the presence of the Father. As the Holy Spirit brings those things to God, the Spirit pleads for us, for believers, for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In my weakness, I don't know what to say. And the Spirit shapes the feelings of my heart and presents them to God in alignment with His will. 
You ever had somebody in your family who your heart was breaking for? One of your family members, spouse, a kid, a parent, cousin, whose life was going off the rails, and you could see it. You could see them truly about to crash and burn. And you didn't even know how to pray. There's assurance in this text that says, Lord, I don't know what to say means a lot to God. Lord, I don't know how to pray is translated into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit because you've surrendered your heart in those words. Lord, I desire to see some change for my friend, but I don't know what to ask for. And the Holy Spirit translates that and brings it into alignment with the will of God, brings it into alignment with what God's heart is for that person. It's an amazing, amazing thing. That is where we find these last couple of texts. That's where we find this extremely well-used, well-worn passage. The Holy Spirit has translated your prayer into an understandable thing, into a thing that came from the gutters of your heart, from the brokenness of your life, and was uttered out in imperceptible ways, maybe only in tears. And he has translated it before God and aligned it with his will. And we know The Holy Spirit has aligned it with his will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. He has aligned it with the will of God. He has taken the utterances of your heart that were not even able to be brought to your lips. And he says, I will bring those to God on your behalf. And they will be as God desires. They will align with his will will for the person whose heart you are breaking. Your person who's breaking your heart right now. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. When, when you can't utter a word and the Holy Spirit takes the groaning of your heart and brings it to God, Paul says you can trust Him with it because we know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him and were called to a life lived in his purposes who will save me from this body of death oh wretched man that I am who will save me Jesus did and he handed me the gift of the Holy Spirit when he did and that Holy Spirit is walking me through walking me through my life to the resurrection and the end of sin and as I persevere on this earth He is taking those moments when in utter weakness I don't even know what to say to God and translating even those into a prayer that aligns with the heart of the Father. And you can trust Him because He works things for your good. As we are dealing with a world that's spinning pretty wildly, 
you can be certain that you have an internal voice worth listening to, you can be certain that when you don't know how to pray, you are still praying. The church is God is called to be the church. The church of God is called to be the church in good times and bad ones. The church of God is called to represent Jesus when things get really messy. And when you don't know what that looks like, the Holy Spirit translates. Let's pray. Father God, It is, it is a blessing to know that you have our interests at heart. That you desire to bring us into alignment with who you are. That you promise that if we will stay in the relationship, you will be the difference. We choose you again this morning. We choose your leadership when we don't know where to go. We choose your strength when we just don't have the power. And we choose your voice when we don't have one of our own. Fill us more fully with your spirit. That the fruit that lets our neighbor know that we love you. And we love them. Please.